We are in the midst of a series called Unwrap Your Spiritual Gifts. Um, And part of this comes from just this idea that everything we should be about as a church or as the body of Christ, whether it's Sunday morning or it's small groups or prayer meeting or youth group or children or whatever, we should be talking about um, how, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he, he, he's talking about to the church in Ephesus, do everything to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he says this, that Christ has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers and the purpose for this Paul says is to equip people for works of service to equip his people so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ so in essence that That's our game plan for us as a church. We are to equip you and to equip each other so that we can do the works of service that God has called us to. And as we have talked about, we all have different gifts, different gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And these gifts are to be used to build up the body. And as we grow in our giftedness in our understanding of our gifts and all things related to the gifts, it will help us as a body attain this idea of becoming mature and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, part of the thing we need to understand is these spiritual gifts, that's part of the full measure of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, rose again so that, you know, took care of our sins so that we could go to heaven. Yeah, that, that's just part of it. That, that's, a, that's a big deal, right? Going to heaven, that's, that's really a big deal. But there's, there's a fullness that is involved in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And part of that fullness is us understanding how God made each one of us so that we can uh, be a part of his body and do what he has called us to do. We talk around here about what a disciple is. And uh, as we, in the beginning of this series, uh, a disciple of Jesus is one, and this is what we talked about a few weeks ago, is one who has repented and been baptized. We, we looked at in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gave his first message and he was preaching and all the people were going what do we have to do to be saved and Peter says repent and be baptized you see repenting is about a change of posture or a change of allegiance repenting is going you know what I was I was pursuing my own thing but now I'm pursuing Jesus then we, we talk about some, some language that we, we, as a follower of Jesus, a disciple, that a disciple is someone who wants to be with Jesus. They want to be like Jesus, and they want to do what Jesus does. And this comes from Dallas Willard in some of his writings, and then John Mark Comer, in, who took some from Dallas and added to it. But 
To be with Jesus is about proximity. It's recognizing that more in our life is caught than taught. You, you, we know that as parents, that we can teach our kids a bunch of stuff and they don't get it, but then all of a sudden we see them interacting in, with people in life and all, we see, all of a sudden we see them acting just like yourself, right? It, it, and it's bad when they're acting like some of your bad stuff, right? It, 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 you don't teach them that stuff, but they catch it. And that's kind of even what it means to be a disciple. Most of what we learn as a follower of Jesus is caught, not taught. And so we want to be in close proximity with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. So how do we do that today? Well, yeah, it's, it's uh, reading the gospel. Uh, we learn a lot about Jesus there. It's reading our Bible. But it's also the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines. It's prayer and solitude and serving and giving and reading your Bible. As we do that more, we uh, become more and more, uh, we're more with Jesus. We also want to be like Jesus. And, that, and this has to do about uh, becoming who we are created to be. And this, this happens, we, we see this in the fruit of the Spirit. The more I'm with Jesus, the more I become like Jesus. And Jesus modeled the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, etc. And then as we become like Jesus, we want to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He reconciled the world to God. And we are called ministers of reconciliation, and we are to reconcile people. We're, we're supposed to bring people to Jesus so that He can reconcile them to God. And we do this best when we are equipped and empowered through the Holy Spirit in our spiritual gifts. So here we are, we're talking about unwrapping our spiritual gifts. A definition that we've been using about spiritual gifts through the course of this series is this definition. A spiritual gift is a God-given unique capacity which is given to each believer for the purpose of releasing a Holy Spirit-empowered ministry, either in a situation or to be repeated again and again. So, as we've said a number of times, and I just want to keep repeating it so that we get it into our brain, every one of you that is a believer, you have a gift. You probably have more than one spiritual gift. And so we are all given gifts. And this is a releasing of the Holy Spirit for empowered ministry. Sometimes it happens in a situation. All of a sudden you get a word of wisdom or you function in, a, in the gifting of leadership because in this situation that's what God needs you to do. Other times it's a repeated again and again and again. Oh, that person has a gift of prophecy. They just, they just do it over over again. Our desire as a church is to teach you and equip you around the spiritual gifts and to give you opportunities for you to use your gifting. Last week, Patty, Pastor Patty, <clears throat> talked about the most excellent way, and she took time to dive into 1 Corinthians 13 and what it means to, as we think about spiritual gifts, how do we do this, these spiritual gifts in the best way? Uh, it's with love. 
right? Patty said this last week. She said, gifts are for today and are to be used to demonstrate the love of God. Amen. Do do you realize that when I use my gifts that God has given me of encouragement and leadership, I'm able to demonstrate the love of God to people around me. So too, if you have the gift of serving or teaching or mercy, whatever the gift, when you are operating in your gift, you are demonstrating the love of God to people around you. I love what Patty said also. She said, spiritual gifts are not to make us famous, but to make God famous. It's not about me. It's not. It's about God getting all the glory, and as I function in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts that God is giving me, um, His name is glorified. As we've gone through this series, we categorized uh, the spiritual gifts into three groupings. We talked about the love gifts, which you see on the left, administration, serving, helps, mercy, giving. Um, this is when the manifest, these gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. So when you guys were hearing Patty preach last Sunday, you were probably going, Amen! Preach it, Patty! It's all about love. Because when you serve and when you show mercy and when you are giving and functioning these gifts, it's out of the love of God in your heart. We also, we've already talked about those. You can go back to past messages to see that. We also talked about word gifts. Word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. This is teaching and encouragement, apostleship, leadership, shepherding, pastoring, evangelism. Generally, people who have these gifts usually function in some form of leadership. And again, what what these word gifts are about, they want to clarify the nature and the purposes of God. We've just started last, uh, it was actually a couple weeks ago, on power gifts. Power gifts demonstrate the power and presence and the reality of God. And uh, you, you see that through the gifts of prophecy, tongues, interpretation, intercession, faith, discernment of spirits, uh, word of wisdom and knowledge, healing, and miracles. These reveal the power of the Holy Spirit. They make God real. When somebody is healed, people go, oh, <laughs> yeah, God is real. So we're going to continue today talking about power gifts, and we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to look at three gifts today. And as we look at these three gifts, I want to remind us about our posture and our heart when we come after these power gifts. Because two weeks ago, we talked about prophecy and word of knowledge and word of wisdom. We also looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, and I just want to read these verses again. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica, Do not quench the Spirit. In other words, don't put the flame out. Then he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, don't treat these gifts, prophecy especially, as worthless or despicable. It's just some person rambling along. But, Paul says, what? Test them all. 
And, and here's the thing I want to get across. Because we get, especially on TV, these people who are the prophets, okay, and they have the word, we need to especially test their prophetic words. It's not just about us, us around here. We need to test them. And just because they're famous and they've hit on a couple of prophecies, right, doesn't mean we let just accept everything they say. We are to test them all. And then hold on to what is good. And reject every kind of evil. This principle here holds true for no matter what power gifts that we're talking about over the course of the next couple of weeks. We, we, let's not quench the Holy Spirit, all right? But let's not treat any of these power gifts with any kind of contempt, but let, let's, let's test them. Let's, let's make sure that they are of the Spirit. So today we're going to talk, first one we're going to talk about, is the spiritual gift of faith. The gift of faith refers to the unusual capacity of a person to recognize in a given situation that God intends to do something and to trust God for it until he brings it to pass. Now there's really only one place where this is mentioned in the Bible as the gift of faith, and that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. The central thrust here is trusting God for the impossible. Uh, <clears throat> I, some people, and you know, probably you know some people, really have this gift of faith. And I want to read an example of the Apostle Paul, who's an easy one for us to, to point out as somebody who had the gift of faith. But here we find in Acts 21 an example of where Paul utilized the gift of faith. And we talked about this passage and this prophecy a couple of weeks ago when we talk about, talked about prophecy. It's found in Acts 21. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, now notice here is the people, what, what are the people telling Paul to do? Don't go to Jerusalem you are going to be bound up. And as we know from the story, he did go to Jerusalem and he was bound up. But listen to what Paul says to them. Verse 13. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, he gave, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. It's interesting for me to, to... I mean, what do you do with this? A prophecy comes, and as we know, it came to pass. But Paul says, it doesn't matter what the prophecy is. I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. 
Paul's faith was in God. And Paul needed, as we know, Paul needed to go to Jerusalem to talk to the elders and tell them about what was going on with all the Gentiles around the world, about all these Gentiles coming to faith and receiving the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts. So Paul needed to tell the church, hey, the gospel is spreading out beyond us Jewish people. He needed to say that. And he knew that even in the midst of persecution, he needed to go and say that. So Paul's faith was in what God had told him he needed to do. And it's interesting for me, because I, I think sometimes we think when you have the gift of faith, this gift of faith is about seeing these amazing, miraculous things, like for a healing or for some large gift of money or whatever. Sometimes this gift of faith is to get through you through the persecution that may be coming your way. God has called you to do something, and no matter how hard it is, my faith is in God, and that's what I'm going to do. There's another story. It's a familiar story. It's Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament and the 12 spies. If you remember this story, the Israelites come out of Egypt and they up to the promised land and Moses says, hey, we're going to take 12 of you, send you in to spy out the land. The 12 go in and they come back after 40 days and they said, wow, land flowing with milk and honey and the vines are huge and the grapes are huge. This is amazing, but so are the people. They have giants there. Ten of them said, we can't go. And what did Joshua and Caleb say? Yes, we have the Lord on our side. Those two men operated in the gift of faith. And as we know, as we go through the story, after the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, all of the people of their generation passed away in the wilderness. But because of their faith, Joshua and Caleb were able to go into the promised land. Another familiar name um, that we find in more modern time, but this is back in the 1800s, is a man named George Mueller. You may have heard of George Mueller before. George operated an orphanage in England, and by faith he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. Now this is in the mid 1800s, he received over $5 million in gifts, and he didn't ask a single person. He didn't do a fun drive. He didn't do any of that. He just prayed and had faith that God would provide. He built five large homes that housed over 2,000 orphans at a time. He fed the children every day, and often the pantry would be bare when the children sat down to eat. And as they would sit down to the table with plates and forks and knives and spoons, but no food, George would lead the children in a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the food he would provide for them. And often there would be a knock on the door at that moment. Somebody there with food. That is somebody who operates in the gift of faith. My question is, who are the George Mueller's of today? 
Who, who are the George Mueller's here at Crossroads Church? We need you. We need you to grow in the understanding in your gift of faith. Now, all of us have faith, and we all grow in our faith. We all do. I mean, you know, what, is, what does Paul tell us? That Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we, we, we all grow in faith as we go through life. But this, this is an exceeding abundant faith that is for the impossible, that's beyond what we can muster up. It's not about what I can muster up. It's a person who believes that God can and will do it. Now, those of you who have been here as we've gone through this, now I'm going to walk us through. I'm going to have you close your eyes and just uh, listen to these sentences. It's, you may have the gift of faith, and then I'm going to say some things. And just pay attention. If many of these next six or seven statements that I say, if they resonate with you, you may have the gift of faith. And so I then want you just to hang on to that. So just listen to these sentences. You may have the gift of faith if you accept God's promises at face value and wait until God fulfills them. You may have the gift of faith if others look upon you to sustain a vision and its direction. You may have the gift of faith if you sense when God is going to do something unusual even though others don't have that assurance. You may have the gift of faith if you have a desire to know God in His fullness and Him alone for solutions to your problems. You may have the gift of faith if you know that God is real because He has specifically intervened on your behalf. You may have the gift of faith if you see the future and can take people to it. You may have the gift of faith if you inspire others in times of weakness with the assurance of God's character. Now again, if quite a, a number of those you resonate with, you may have the gift of faith. So just hold on to that. The next gift we're going to talk about today is the gift of the discernment of spirits. This is the ability given by God to know with assurance whether certain behavior purported to be of God is in reality divine, human, or satanic. You see, any time we see something happen in a church, the source is one of three things. It's either the Holy Spirit at work, or it's the flesh, it's people trying to muster it up, or it can be demonic. It can be from the evil one. Now the central thrust here is a sensitivity to truth and its source. We find this in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 10, and even in 1 John 4, 1. And here's what John says. He says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So like Paul was said, discern and test. Here John says basically the same thing. Do not believe every spirit. There's a reason why we need to not believe every spirit and that is this. The evil one operates as an angel of light. 
You see, the evil one's not going to come and do some wild and crazy evil thing that we're all scared of. No, he's going to come in appearance as one who is good, just enough to get us off course. This discernment of spirits is discerning whether it's from the Spirit of God, from evil spirits, or from our flesh. John Thompson, in his book, Conversion, talks about different styles, meaning there are people who have different kind of gifts of discernment. And there are three of them um, John talks about. The first one is this, that we have some people who have the ability to discern whether God is present. In other words, they're able to see up and just, oh, God is present in this place. They, they know that God is really in whatever situation. They are able to discern the active presence of God. It's not, it's not really obvious to others, but they are able to be in church or in a group and be suddenly aware of, oh, hey, the Holy Spirit is in this place. If, if, that's, if, if you've had that experience before, or maybe on multiple ex, uh, experiences, you may have the gift to be able to discern when God's presence is real. The second style is one who is able to discern the hidden motives of people. In other words, when people are operating in the flesh and whether their motives are good or bad. They, they're able to look at things below the surface. On the surface, it may be good, but below the surface, they're able to see, oh, that's that, not a pure motive there. Classic example of this is they're able, this is scary for me, they're able to discern if a preacher, his theology may be right on, but maybe in the presentation he's got, oh no. <clears throat> That preacher's got an ulterior motive to that message. And I, and I know, having stood here multiple times, that there are times it's easy for me to express what's going on in my flesh and use the Bible to get my agenda across. A person who's able to discern the hidden motives of people is able to discern whether a person's motive is pure or not. My wife Terry has this discerning ability. And I can tell a number of stories where we have been around somebody and she has had an uneasy feeling about the person. Early on in our marriage, I would ignore it. And it got me in trouble a couple of times. Now I listen. Because I, I really, I, personally, I, I, I don't have an ongoing discerning spirit gift. There, there have been moments, but not this ongoing thing. The third style is uh, the discerning of spirits that the demonic is presence. Some are able to sense when the demonic move in. And they may even see the demonic. There, there are people that I know who are 
seers. They're, they're able to see when the evil is presence. There's a story of Jesus interacting with his disciples, and Jesus uses the gift of discernment. This is found in Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. In Matthew's account, this is from Mark, in Matthew's account, Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, Peter only knows this because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. So Peter is able to know that Jesus is the Messiah to discern that because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Now the story continues in verse 31. It switches a little bit. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Love that, don't you? Peter rebuking Jesus. That's always a funny thing for me. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying somebody to somebody here, In the church, when they are saying something, they're trying to get things to go a different way. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking of the things of God. That's a pretty bold move. Jesus was able to discern that what Peter said was not coming from the Spirit at that time, but was coming from the evil one. Now, There's a warning with this gift. Those of us who have this spiritual gift of discernment, we need to understand that this cannot be based on what we see or our preference. We have to make sure that this is not me discerning this out of my flesh and me wanting to correct somebody because I think they're off. Or... Even saying, oh, the Spirit is in this place and it might not be in this place, but we just want it so bad that we are trying to tell everybody. If we tell everybody, we convince them. Maybe everybody will believe that the Holy Spirit is in this place. This is based on, like all spiritual gifts, divine divine discernment. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals. This is not the gift of evaluation. Any one of us can run through and evaluate a ministry, evaluate a person. This is, what not, this is not what this is about. This is divine discernment. Now, I'm going to do the same thing here as I did with the other ones. You may have the gift of discernment if. So close your eyes or do whatever you want to get, help you to get focused. 
You may have the gift of discernment if you have a keen sense of recognizing evil and have prayed to expel demons from others. You may have the gift of discernment if you have supernatural insight to figure out what is wrong with a situation and how to improve it. You may have the gift of discernment if you grasp God's direction in order to thwart Satan's attack against other believers. You may have the gift of discernment if you cannot rest when you know people are being given half-truths or controlled by false teaching. You may have the gift of discernment if you have an unusual intuition to grasp when people are demonized. You may have the gift of discernment if you see physical symptoms that lead you to know something is wrong. You may have the gift of discernment if you see what others do not see through mental pictures or visions. Again, if you had multiple, answered yes to multiple items there, you may have the gift of discernment. One more gift I want to just talk about uh, as, um, at the end here, and that's the gift of intercession. Now, the gift of intercession is the special ability that God gives to certain people to pray for extended periods of time on a regular basis and see frequent answers to prayer. Now, this gift doesn't often come up in spiritual gifting tests or in lists of um, spiritual gifts, but it's an important gift because there are some people that really function under this central thrust of praying for others. All of us are called to pray, right? But some have the ability to pray for two, three, maybe even four hours at a, at a drop, and, and, and they're interceding. They may be the ones that come up to you and say, Oh, I had a bad day, I wasn't able to pray, I only prayed for an hour this morning. Now, I don't have the gift of intercession. I, I get up and spend my first hour with the Lord, but it's not an hour of prayer. I mean, it, I have a prayerful heart, but it, it, it's reading my Bible, it's journaling, it's, it's reading other books, and I, and I do pray, but intercessors have this ability to pray for two or three hours, and it's not just the time. It's often you move from being a person who just prays to an intercession, intercessor, when you move your prayer list from just yourself to where most of your prayers are for others. This is one of the hearts of the intercessor. It's selfless prayer. In Hebrews 4, 16 uh, the writer says this, Let us then approach the throne, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All of us have the ability to approach that throne of grace. Some of us have the ability to approach that throne of grace and they don't leave it until they get the answer. Now John uh, Thompson, again, in his book, Convergence talks about there's three different kinds of intercessors. One is phone book intercessor. Give them a list, and they're really happy. They're just going to pray through that list. It doesn't matter how long the list is, they'll pray for everything on that list. My mom was an intercessor. She was a phone book intercessor. When she passed away and we were going through her notebooks, I mean, Stacks of notebooks. It went lists. Lists and lists of people in our church, her church, um, 
my name might have been on there multiple, multiple times. But they love lists. The second kind of intercessor is a crisis intercessor. They're kind of like the first responders. They're going out about life, and all of a sudden, either they hear about something, or they get this sudden urge that something is wrong somewhere, and they stop everything, and they start praying for whether it's a ministry or a person or some other kind of situation. They're just like, i got to pray. And they just stop, and they just start praying. And then all of a sudden, they're done. Okay, I'm done. Let's move on. Uh, crisis intercessors. And the third kind is assignment intercessors. They feel strongly called to pray for a specific ministry or a specific person or a project, and they pray for them long term. I have two persons in my life who have been assigned to me. Thank you, Jesus. One lady is a lady named Nancy. Uh, she was, um, her kids were in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, and then she became a youth volunteer. And about once every six months, I'll hear from her, hey, praying for you. You got anything you need me to pray for? The other uh, is a woman named Tracy. Tracy was at, uh, is at Riverwood Covenant, and she was there. She leads the prayer ministry there. She just sent me a text with a picture of her Bible with a verse in it, and it just said Friedlines 2018. That was about the time I was coming here. Um, it was just kind of like, hey, still praying for you. Ironic thing. She was here my first Sunday, December 3rd, six years ago, because she wanted to make sure I was where God wanted me to be. She was bummed because God said, yes, this is where He wanted me to be. Some of you are assignment intercessors. We, we need you. We need all you intercessors. Um, the problem comes sometimes when you try to bring the three of them together because you have the people who want to pray for their assignment, then you have some who want to pray for their lists, and then you have what's the crisis going on. So the key is when intercessors come together, they need to listen to God and listen to each other as to what it is that they are to intercede for. Um, some of you may not even know that you're an intercessor yet. My hope is that God will reveal that to you today. I mean, we need all the spiritual gifts, but in the prayer room this morning, they talked about the battle. They were, they were praying in the prayer room morning that we are in this battle. Intercessors are at the front line. Okay? Without the intercessors, I, I can't do what I do. Our teachers can't do what they do. We, there's a lot. Worship doesn't happen the way worship happens without our intercessors at the front line, at the throne of grace. So listen to these statements and see if maybe you have the gift of intercession. You may have the gift of intercession if you spend more time praying for the needs of others than your own. 
You may have the gift of intercession if you often spend extended periods of time in prayer. You may have the gift of intercession if you often have specific answers to your prayers. You may have the gift of intercession if you have lists of people and places that you pray through regularly. You may have the gift of intercession if you often get a sudden urge to pray for a specific person, place, ministry, etc. You may have the gift of intercession if you have an assignment for God to pray for a specific person, place, ministry, etc. You may have the gift of intercession if you view prayer as a sacred obligation and privilege. As we conclude today, um, those of you who have been around here know that what we want you to do now is if you feel like any one of those three, faith, spiritual discernment, uh, intercession, is your gift, uh, we want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask our elders and their wives that are here today to come forward and to get into place, grab some anointing oil. What they're going to do, you come up, you just share with them, I think I may have the gift of spiritual discernment, or I think I may have the gift of faith. And they will lay their hands on you. Uh, laying hands is something that the early church did, and so we're just trying to be like the early church. And so they're going to lay hands on you. They're going to listen to the Holy Spirit and then pray with you. They're also going to anoint you with oil. Oil is an anointing. It's, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit. Anointing with oil was done in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was anointing kings and priests for their service. We are the priesthood of all believers. And so we want to anoint you as priests, priests of intercession or priests of faith, whatever gift you had. So we just want to anoint you. Now, if you're not sure, just come forward. Don't, don't, you don't have to have it all figured out right now. Now it's just about you coming forward, being prayed for, being anointed. And then we will allow the Holy Spirit to continue to confirm in you the gifting that He has called you, uh, given to you. So, um, stand with us. Katie's going to lead us in the last song. And then as we are singing, you come forward and we would love to pray with you. All right? Come. Come.